Welcome to Holistic History, The Quest for King Arthur, Episode 10. I'm Tony Frost, and I'm sitting in for Jim this episode. In the last episode, Jim introduced the idea that the Britons of the 5th and 6th centuries did not use high kingship, but that in fact they had a central government that worked on a type of elective monarchy, which in practice was a weak system. Last episode, Jim also argued that the word king did not always mean ruler of a kingdom, and that to the Britons of the 5th and 6th centuries, the word king meant chieftain or noble. During the late Roman period, these chieftains governed northern and western Britain as clients for the Romans. They raised and commanded local militias, financing and arming them with their own money. As long as Britain was still in the Roman Empire, the chieftains and their militias were controlled by the empire. When the empire weakened and fell and Britain became independent, it would have been easy for these chieftains to turn the militias into their own private armies, making them just like the nobles of medieval Europe. And just like those nobles, they would have used their armies to try to expand and settle feuds with neighbors. In a badly documented time period like Britain in the 5th and 6th centuries, a chieftain expanding his power like this would look to historians very much like high kingship. There are telltale signs that instead of a high kingship, this must have been a central government, and two things prove it beyond reasonable doubt. The first is that Vortigern deposed the ruler of Kent, and the second is that Vortigern himself was deposed in a coup by Ambrosius Aurelianus. With the Romans gone from Britain, the Irish and Picts saw their chance and poured into the Britons' lands, raiding and pillaging. To help stem this tide, Vortigern invited Anglo-Saxon mercenaries into Britain. As part of the payment for this military aid, Vortigern gave Kent to the Anglo-Saxons. By using mercenaries, Vortigern was carrying on a practice that had been common in the late Roman Empire. The Romans were having all kinds of trouble with various Germanic tribes. They tried to play these tribes off against each other by making some of the tribes their allies. The Romans called these allied tribes federates. The idea was that my enemy's enemy is my friend. In practice, though, this federate system didn't work, because really, my enemy's enemy is just another enemy. These points have all been made before, but what no one has noticed is that if the Britons had high kingship, they could not have used the federate system. A high king would have to have deposed a vassal king without any kind of legal justification, disinherited the rightful heir, confiscated territory he had no claim to, and handed it over to someone else who also had no claim to it. No High King, whoever existed, had anywhere near that kind of power. Even with a central government, it would only have been possible if the position of ruler of Kent was appointed. This would have been possible since Kent was in the part of Britain that had been Latinized and used Roman political administration. Then there is the fact that Vortigern was deposed in a coup launched by Ambrosius Aurelianus. It was impossible to launch a coup in high kingship. High kingship was an informal political system that rested upon the reputation of the High King his ability to compel other kings to submit to his authority. Ambrosius could not have usurped Vortigern's reputation. Killing Vortigern would not have compelled other kings to have submitted to Ambrosius. It would only have killed Vortigern, and the position of high king would have died with him. High kingship was unstable. Not only did vassal kings resent losing their autonomy and paying tribute, ambitious kings wanted to replace the incumbent high king. The Welsh used high kingship from at least the late 7th century until Wales was conquered by England in the late 13th century. The English themselves used it from the 5th century until the Anglo-Saxon kingdoms were unified in the 9th century, and the Irish used it for a thousand years from the 2nd century to the 12th century. If coups were possible, then it stands to reason that at least some of these men would have become high king by coup, but there are no other recorded examples of coups. 
Now that we have shown that the Britons were using a central government system and not high kingship, let's look at what that means for their political and military situations in the 5th and 6th centuries. First of all, it is yet one more way of making the case that Arthur was real, because someone must have ruled the central government during the Arthurian period. Even so, in the histories that have come down to us, there is a gap of roughly ten years from the death of Arthur until the ascension of Melguin. Geoffrey of Monmouth said that this period was filled by the reigns of three kings who did not last very long. Geoffrey maintained that it was a central government, but he thought the succession was determined by inheritance. Geoffrey is not very reliable, so the reigns of these three kings have always been dismissed as an invention. The kings were all mentioned by Gildas, however, so it is widely believed that Geoffrey took the names from there. But why take three names to fill a gap of only ten years when one name would have been sufficient? The question becomes more puzzling when we consider that Gildas mentioned five kings in that section, the three that also appear in Geoffrey's book, Melguin and Melguin's cousin, Coniglasses, but Geoffrey ignored Coniglasses. Why? There is evidence that he was Melguin's right-hand man. Geoffrey was only interested in the rulers themselves. Well, Gildas included Cunniglasses because he was an important part of the government at the time Gildas wrote his book. Several rulers who did not last very long is consistent with Roman-style elective monarchy. The Britons were a Celtic people, and Celts also used elective monarchy. The Celtic system was more stable than the Roman system, since rulers were elected by nobles and therefore had built-in bases of support. The Roman system required the ruler to gain support of the army. Different units of the army could support different candidates, or ambitious officers could rally their men to rebel in order to seize power. The most infamous example in Roman history was 238, the year of six emperors. But all three of the kings Geoffrey mentioned were still alive at the time Gildas wrote is consistent with Celtic practices. They usually did not kill deposed kings, as that would have triggered a blood feud. Ambrosius Aurelianus found that out the hard way when he was killed by Vortigern's only surviving son. In previous episodes, we said that Arthur was famous for maintaining peace, and Gildas himself verified that they had a period of peace. It was also said that a powerful king intimidating the other kings was the only way to maintain peace under those conditions. None of that changes if they had central government with nobles with their own armies and own agendas. The political situation would have been different between the two systems, but the military situation would have been basically the same. This interpretation holds the key to understanding the true origin of the legend of the sword and the stone. A number of candidates vied with one another for the position of king. The rightful king would be known because he would pass a magical test. That is usually interpreted to mean that he was rightful because of his blood claim. But elective monarchy also used the idea of rightful, but in the sense of having the attributes of a good leader. The English word emperor is derived from the Latin word imperator. But imperator does not mean ruler of an empire. It means he who has the right to command. As for the magical test, ancient Celts believed that their political leaders and war heroes had connections to the supernatural. Characters in their myths and legends often prove the strength of these connections by passing magical tests. In this case, the test consisted of pulling a sword from the stone. The sword no doubt represented military prowess, and the stone symbolized monarchy. The Stone of Scone, also known as the Stone of Destiny, is on display in Edinburgh Castle. For centuries, the kings of the Scots were crowned while sitting or standing on it. In another example, for over 500 years, the head of the O'Neill clan in Ireland had the title King of Tara, until the year 500 when the O'Neills converted to Christianity. The King of Tara was crowned while placing his hand on a pillar called the Stone of Destiny. There is also something called the London Stone, 
Tradition says that it was very important at one time. There are several theories as to what it was. One of these theories is that it was the Stone of Destiny for the Britons. The Irish told an elaborate legend about the kings of Tara. In historical times, the kings were elected by the nobles of the clan. According to the legend, in the pre-Christian era, the archdruid of all Ireland chose the king of Tara after his identity had been revealed in a dream. The candidate then verified his legitimacy by passing several tests. The last of these is that he placed his hand on the Stone of Destiny, which would cry out and acknowledge him as the rightful king. That's basically the sword and the stone without a sword. In this episode, we have shown that in the 5th and 6th centuries, the Britons did not use high kingship. Their rulers had too much power for that system to have been the one in use, and that Vortigern would not have been deposed in a coup if the system was high kingship. What we have said strongly supports the idea that the Britons were using a system of central government. Furthermore, the idea of the sword and the stone becomes easily explainable in light of Roman and Celtic ideas of elective monarchy, with the Irish even telling a similar story. Please join us next time for an overview of the medieval versions of the Arthurian legends and how they fit into the wider context of medieval European storytelling. Until then, this has been Tony Frost for Holistic History, The Quest for King Arthur. I hope you stay safe. Thank you.